we had a couple of Ask the Elder meetings to end our year, and um, there was this big question, what's the plan, Stan? What's the plan? And um, we talked about those four options, like, well, we could just close up shop, go home. Um, we could complete, completely restart the church over again from scratch. <clears throat> Everybody go home, say, hey, let's start a church. New name, new everything. Um, we could merge with another church, which we were like, it would take some really special people to knock on the door for that to happen. Or we could just think about what does it look like to revitalize a church, to look at what we do and, and pray and seek the Lord over how we do what we do and why we do it, to have our sails up for the Spirit to blow. And um, I haven't really told anybody this, but January and February were, were my pre-revitalization sermons. And then when everybody gets sick and you miss two weeks and you go, well, that didn't go well. But we're still here and we're still doing that um, because I wanted to spend a month talking about prayer and I wanted to spend a month talking about repentance. So we'll be in Psalm 51 in a few weeks. Maybe I got those backwards. Maybe we should have repented first and then prayed, but whatever. As long as we get both of them, we'll be good, right? Um, um, prayer is this difficult, mysterious, amazing conversation that we get to have with our God, our Savior. Um, and maybe sometimes it's disappointing when um, things did not go the way you were praying, and I believe as we look at the early church, we could see um, that there were times of disappointment and heartache. And, um, but they were a praying church. Not just, and I keep emphasizing this, they weren't just a church that prayed, they were a praying church. It was part of their life. And last week, we saw that they were told to shut up. Do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. We have the power to take your life and make it, or, make it, or just make your life miserable. And they said, okay, we're going to pray for boldness to speak even more. <laughs> and so um, this morning in Acts chapter... 12, um, we're going to look at one of those, what must have been a very disappointing, heartbreaking moments in the life of the early church and how they responded in prayer. Because one of their very own who has been very bold may have died for that very reason. Um, Acts chapter 12, it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, there's an interesting turn that's happened here. 
Up to this point, persecution has come from the religious leaders. Remember last week, it was like the temple guard, like all of these high-level Jewish people were persecuting the church. Now suddenly we have Herod involved. This is the government government. It's like Rome. This is the king. This is the big guy. You're like, wait a minute. Where did he come from? (laughs) Um, Herod has huge self-preservation instincts. As king, whatever's good for Herod is good for Herod. (laughs) And he's going to start giving his hand a try at this persecuting the church thing. Um, He's been fairly friendly with the Jews up to this point because they both serve each other's interest. They help him keep a level of peace and he gives them a place of power under his power. So they kind of live this life of appeasing one another. It's the beautiful picture of religion and politics that we all love so much. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Now, these, these Christians, this, this new growing movement seems to be causing some trouble. And they're mostly made up of Jews at this point. So you can be certain that these Jewish leaders who are doing the persecuting have Herod's ear, <laughs> right? And one of the things we learn when you study the history of the early church is that the Jews were very, very certain and emphatic to say about the church, they're not with us. We don't know those people. (laughs) Yeah. So don't let the persecution fall on us, just them. And somebody must have pointed at James. As a matter of fact, that's a good guy to start. He's an original. Right off the boat, Jesus called that guy. Maybe if Jesus, J- James was killed, that might make the church less bold. If you, put a, a, if you start killing their leaders, you can put a damper on this courageous bunch of people. And it says, the, the little addition of the word, put to death with the sword. Is there any more like greater way to show we have power than with a sword, right? Horrible way to go. But it's happening exactly what Jesus said, right? You will drink the cup I drink. And it says apparently the Jews loved this. The Jews loved this. And it says in verse 3, when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Ooh, hey, my approval rating has gone up in the polls. He was watching the news that night and saw that his approval rating had gone up. Oh, well, if killing James did that, I bet you I could get a serious boost if I just went straight for Peter here. So he arrested Peter. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread, and after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. 
Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So he must have known something about some of the miracles that had been happening around this guy. So this one guy gets four squads of four soldiers. But he's not going to kill him during the Passover. Like there's religious significance going on here. But it says he's going to literally bring him out to the people. The context here is it's going to be a public trial. He's going to make a show out of this. Like cameras are rolling type stuff. And it's, it's, it's doubtless that it's not going to be a trial. I mean, come on, get real. Basically, he's going to condemn him in front of the crowd. Now, what is the church thinking in this moment? We just lost James. We're about to lose Peter, too. So Peter was kept in prison. Death sentence. He's there. He's waiting. But look at the rest of the verse. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Or just to put this literally, I love the way this this phrases out. If you say it literally, earnest prayer was being made by the church to God for him. By the church to God for Peter, right? I talk about you learn to pray by listening to people pray. The person I listened to the pray the most when I was a new believer, she used to always say, and I've said, I've said this before, intercession. When you intercede for someone, you lift, reach up, you take the hand of God, and you take the hand of the person you're interceding for, and you bring those hands together. So the church, it says, is earnestly, fervently, intensely praying for Peter. So what happened? Did they not pray for James? Were they like, oh, James will be fine. Uh Uh-oh, James died. We better pray for Peter. (laughs) Or, I I seriously don't think that's what happened. I'm kind of joking there. Surely they prayed for James. Well, God didn't hear us when we prayed for James. Why bother praying for Peter, right? So here's Peter in prison. And it's the night before the trial. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Anybody else feel like they would be deep in sleep? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Between two soldiers, so Peter's asleep, soldier on each side, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Listen to this. This is from Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will, deliver, deliver, God will never deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Listen, I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I'm surrounded by foes. I think I'll go to bed. Right? I remember when Karis was little bitty, 
uh, we had our nightly routine was when she would get done with her bath, she would come down the stairs. We had this big chair that was like big enough for a person and a half, and she was still small enough to be like half a person. So she would jump up in with her wet air, and we would read, just spend time reading. And I remember one time reading her to Psalm 3, reading what I just read to you. Um, and I said, Karis, what? What if our house were surrounded by enemies with like army tanks and guns and they were just out to get us? Do you think you could go to sleep? Think you could sleep under those conditions, right? Well, if God's our shield, we go to sleep. And so Peter knows, well, the Lord's my shield. Um, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to sleep for the night. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Don't you love that? It opened for them by itself. It's an inanimate object. Inanimate objects do not do things by themselves. Big iron gates do not open on their own accord. They are opened. What it means is there's no obvious visible cause, right, for this gate to open. So, having made it out of chains, having made it out of the cell, having made it past the guards, imagine what a bummer it would have been to get to the gate and go, <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> Right, imagine that's how the story ends. And the guards woke up the next morning and found Peter at the iron gate. Right, that would have just been a horrible ending. <laughs> but God opens the gate, right? And when that happens and the angel leaves, it says, Peter came to himself. Like, he has this wide awake moment. And he says, now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping were happened. In other words, there's going to be some really disappointed people when they find out this has happened. And again, this isn't even the first time an angel got Peter out of prison. He's almost like a pro at this back in Acts 5, right? <laughs> Put Peter in prison, God sends an angel. It's going to happen later for Paul and Silas, only it's going to be like an earthquake. God doesn't seem to have a problem with prison cells, getting people out of them. But it says he's in Herod's clutches, and all the things the Jewish people were hoping were going to happen that next day, gone. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So that gathered group, fellowship, community, people, a group of people where they're fervently, intensely praying. Peter in prison about to be executed is now Peter standing at the door where the church is gathered. That's quite the trip for Peter, right? Um, just, just to kind of pause at this moment and, and talk about Peter for just a moment. I mean, I realize he's gotten out of prison twice now, but Peter in prison about to be executed is now Peter at the door. This isn't like part of Peter's skill set, like he's interviewing for a job. So what are you good at? I'm really good at getting out of prison. <laughs> I'm, I've done it twice now, right? Chains falling off, walking past guards, gates opening on their own. 
it's not like that's in Peter's wheelhouse. Like, oh yeah, this is, my, this is one of my strengths. <laughs> right? Peter didn't bring this to the table when Jesus called him. This is the gracious, powerful, wise God who hears and works and sometimes works in really strange, mysterious ways. Peter knocks at the outer entrance. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door and when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back when, without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Don't everyone, any, everyone say the Bible's not humorous. In her joy, she didn't let him in. She was, she was too astonished. Her brain, her brain did not have a category for Peter who's going to die tomorrow and is spending the night in prison, is standing at the door. Her brain didn't have categories for that. Even though they were earnestly praying for Peter, maybe they were just like, God, however you want to do this is fine. Look. And they said, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting. Well, it must be Peter's angel. It's an angel that looks like Peter, whatever that means. But Peter's out there banging. He kept on knocking. Well, it must, if it's Peter's angel, it's still knocking at the door. So they go out and they open the door. They saw him and they were astonished. Now, I don't want to go too far into this, but there are two common responses in the book of Acts. One of those responses is you've lost your mind. That's twice in Luke, once in Acts. People are told they've lost their mind. And two, people were greatly astonished. That's also a very common response in Luke and Acts. Both of them in one passage. <laughs> she was astonished. They said she'd lost her mind. Peter motions with his hand, which is also very common in the, in the book of Acts, people motioning with their hands. He motioned with their hands to be quiet, and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, the other James, who's still alive, tell James and the, and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. This is where they're going to be looking for me. I guess he's thinking but he tells them the whole story, how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell everybody about this. I'm out of here. And in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Where's Peter? Where'd Peter go? Imagine the two guys, one on each side, waking up and there's no one between them. And there's chains sitting there. <laughs> well, yeah. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. It's got to be their fault. Now, let me just real quick read the end of the story. Then Herod went to Judea, from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now they joined together and sought an audience with them. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So here's Herod, who's got a beef with these people from Tyre and Sidon. They do not get along, but guess what? They're hungry. So they swallow their pride. They come over. They manage to get an audience with Herod, who doesn't like them. We just need food. Now imagine how puffed up Herod is feeling at this point. Ooh, you need food? Oh, from me? Oh, gee, you poor people. 
right? Like, oh, he's, he's really in a powerful place right here. And on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. You can just imagine the pomp of this moment and the power of this moment, how he's talking down to them. And what do they say? They respond with, oh, this is the voice of God, not a man. This is God speaking to us. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Not in the reverse order. <laughs> Usually you die and get eaten by worms. No, no, no. Herod was eaten by worms and died. That's whoa. Yeah. And verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The word of God is not chained, Paul said to Timothy. You don't put the word of God in prison. If you want to know who's, who's, who's the powerful one here, it's not the guy who got eaten by worms and died, right? It's not the guy who allowed people to praise him for being God. He was perfectly happy being called God. Nope. God said, you're not God, I'm God. Worms, yeah. So it's a story about fervent prayer after the prayer was not answered. Peter got a miracle. James didn't. Sometimes in life, your list of Jameses will pile up and get long. Like disappointment after disappointment after loss after loss unanswered prayer after unanswered prayer after unanswered prayer. It seems like God isn't listening. What's going on? Disappointment, grief. Why? It seems to be kind of a feature of human life, doesn't it? That we just live in a disappointed world where disappointing things happen, right? Sometimes you run up to the iron gate and you just bounce right off. <laughs> and it may very well be that right now, this morning, you are facing an iron gate that is so stinking stubborn and it will not open for you. Let me give you just two personal things here to speak to this. Um, yesterday morning I was pondering, cogitating, as I say, on Psalm 69. And in Psalm 69, David is in really, really bad shape. I made a list as I was thinking about this psalm. I just got my notebook out and made a list. This is what life was like for him. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm in water up to my neck. I'm sinking in miry depths. My feet have no solid ground to find a foothold. Deep waters, a flood is engulfing me. So up to my neck, water's coming. I'm worn out and hoarse from crying for help. My eyes are failing looking for God. Where are you, God? I've been crying. Can you hear me? And he says, there's, there's people too many to count who hate me with no reason. I'm forced to pay back things I didn't even steal. Besides that, God knows my own foolishness and my own guilt. So some of this is just people hating me for no reason, and some of this is just life circumstances, and some of it's just because I'm an idiot sometimes. Right? Sorry, that was harsh. I just, I just do foolish things. And then he even says, and, and Lord, I don't want others to lose hope and be disgraced because of me. 
He says, I'm enduring scorn for you. I've got shame all over my face. My own family won't talk to me. I am insulted with insults that are aimed at you. People mock me. And here is the cherry on top. You ready? Drunks sing about me. Listen, if drunk people are singing songs about you, you've hit rock bottom. Come on, boys, let's sing a song. Ah, oh, let's sing about Odin. He's pitiful. He makes us feel better, right? Just sing about that guy. Like, you can't get much worse than David's situation here. But verse 13 just hit me like a ton of bricks when I was reading this. I read it Friday morning. I read it again Saturday morning. Verse 13 starts with three words, but I pray. But I pray. Pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor and your great love, O oh God. Answer me with your sure salvation. And listen to the, some of the things he asked for. I wrote these down. Rescue me, deliver me, answer me, come near to me. I will praise your name in song and glorify you with thanksgiving. This will please you more than sacrifice. Sometimes when life is really, really difficult, we think we can sacrifice our way out of it. Okay, God, I'll go to church more than I've ever been, and I'll give a little more, just make my life work better. And he says, you know what I'd like better than that? Sing me a song. <laughs> give me thanksgiving. I'm almost done. I know that almost puts you to sleep. <laughs> Nothing better than rain on a roof, right? But, and then it just closes with this line, the Lord hears the needy. So if you're feeling like God hasn't been hearing and God isn't answering and my life is just piled up with disappointment, can I just encourage you? But I pray. And just go to God with words like this. Rescue me, deliver me, come near to me, answer me, save me. Sing a song, right? Just this fervent prayer was lifted up for Peter, even though James didn't get the miracle. Okay, one more quick personal story here. Um, Back in 1990, and it's very weird that I remember this, so just bear with me for a moment. Um, back in 1990, it was, I think it was the first Sunday of the year um, at West Lonsdale Baptist Church up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, it was kind of built up that, that this particular Sunday was going to be a day of prayer, and if people wanted to fast, we were given kind of instructions of how to fast or at least skip breakfast and lunch that day, right? And um, it's just going to be a whole day of prayer. And I remember the year because I left for Bible college like a week or two later. I started in the middle of the year. So that would have been basically almost exactly 33 years ago, like a week or two ago. Um, and the thing that amazes me, why I remember that, is that Bruce Robinson, my pastor, preached on this passage. And I hadn't... I, I hadn't even thought about that until this week when I was thinking about this. And I still remember the title of his sermon, weirdly enough. The title of his sermon was Prayer Opens Iron Gates. <laughs> Crazy. And, and after the service, those who wanted to keep praying and fasting, you, you met back together in your Sunday school classes with your group. And I remember uh, very, very distinctly because um, I, I remember very clearly um, being very, very, very concerned about starting college 
Um, I was old enough that all my friends from high school had already graduated from college and had jobs. I was like, you know, I was already 23, um, um, 22. Um, I, I, let's just say high school was not good for me. Um, I, I, never, I never took a book home. You're going to go to college? Were you, were you crazy? Um, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. Like, this was the craziest thing I was doing. What in the world was I even thinking? But he just preached a sermon. Prayer opens iron gates. This is an iron gate. And I remember I had this big um, NIV Thompson chain reference Bible. Ah, those are beautiful. If you if man alive. Um, and I remember being over in a corner. I can still tell you where I was in the room that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I found a chain reference to Isaiah 45. And he says, I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, such you will know that I am the Lord. I will open gates of bronze. And I just sat there and cried. Um, okay, God, you're going to give me the treasure. You're going to open this gate that looks and he did it, right? Every fear I had about going to college, every weakness that I took with me, God took care of all of it. And so I look back at that, and I'm just astonished, right? And I just wonder um, if there's still the opportunity for us to all be kind of a Rhoda-like. Um, does God still astonish his people in answer to fervent prayer? I don't know. Does, do you think God ever used an angel to answer a prayer for you? God's got all sorts of means at his dis- disposal. He owns the universe, I mean. <laughs> and I, just, I have to keep asking myself that question. Is it possible God would astonish us? When, as we become a praying people and a praying church. Is it possible that a year from now we would have something where we just go, I can't believe you did that. Wow. Remember that time we left Dean outside knocking at the door? We didn't know. Yeah. Oh, that was a different reason. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just, is it possible that we could pray specifically enough about whatever it is you're going through and we're going through right? And God will use our strengths. God will use our weaknesses. God will use our gifts. God will use our talents. He gave them to us. But here's the thing. I'll just say this and we'll finish. Um, it, it takes God to serve God, right? We don't just come to him with our resume. Um, it takes God in us to serve God, and there will be nothing natural about it. There's nothing natural in this story. You know, this, this isn't, none of this happens. So we just, we pray. We become a praying people. And say, God, astonish us. Let me pray for us now. Would you join me? God, um, for everybody in the room who may be feeling like David in Psalm 69, um, 
who just are feeling up to their eyeballs in the mire, would you rescue them? Would you continue to help them to pray? Lord, prayer, if, if, if their life seems to be just um, lots of unanswered ones, Lord, I pray that you'd help them to keep praying because of who you are. The rescuing, saving, listening, caring, gracious God. Help us to not lose heart in prayer. I pray, God, for my my brothers and sisters in this room who may, who may be feeling that kind of overwhelmed, that kind of discouraged, that kind of doubtful. I pray that you'd give them a song. I pray that you'd give them thanksgiving. And I pray that you'd give them a sight of who you are and help them to pray. Lord, I thank you just for my own story. Just, um, goodness, even the verses in Isaiah, totally out of context, written to a pagan. And <laughs> you gave them to me. I didn't know better, but thank you. <laughs> thank you, God, for the iron gates you've brought down in my life. And God, I bet we could go around the room and we could tell these kinds of stories. Gates that seem to open on their own accord. But you're the gate opener. Would you make us a praying church, a praying people who know what it is to pray earnestly, fervently, to our listening, caring, powerful God. It's going to take you, God. It's going to take you. Astonish us once again. Astonish us once again. In Jesus' name.